As we've been saying, Romans is a letter, it's a book that's all about good news. It's all about the gospel. It's all about what God accomplished for mankind with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ stands front and center in this letter that was written to the Christians in Rome. And the man behind this letter, the Apostle Paul, he also is all about the gospel. Paul burns with a passion for the gospel. And he burns with a passion for sharing the gospel. And not surprisingly, when he writes this letter, he writes passionately about the gospel. So we might ask, why is Paul so passionate about the gospel? Well, I believe that Paul's so passionate about the gospel because he knows what the gospel has accomplished for all mankind. And he also knows what the gospel has accomplished for him. Paul was lost, but now he's found. Paul was dead, but now he's alive. Paul was in prison, but now he's been set free. So that's why, with passion, Paul wrote these familiar words in Romans. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And you know, in order for us to share Paul's passion for the gospel, we need to be continually reminded ourselves that like Paul, we were lost, but now we're found. We were dead, but now we're alive. We Two were imprisoned by sin, but because of the gospel, we have been set free. And as we are here gathered together as the found, as the alive, as the free, we should have no shame in the gospel. And we should have no problem at all in passionately joining with Paul in affirming our faith, our belief in the power of the gospel. So once more, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me and affirm your passionate belief in the gospel's power. So please repeat after me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. For the salvation of everyone who believes. And all the church says, Amen. Well, I don't know what your favorite book in the Bible is, but I do know that for many of us, Romans chapter 8 ranks near the top. And its popularity is probably in large part due to the fact that Romans chapter 8 is in many ways Paul's victory chapter. In Romans chapter 8, we hear Paul declare victory when he says, There is now no condemnation for those, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we hear Paul's victory when he writes, If God is for us, who can be against us? And we hear victory when Paul declares, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That all comes out of Romans chapter 8. And it's Paul declaring victory. So chapter 8 is Paul's victory chapter. Paul celebrates God's victory over death and his victory over sin And his victory over Satan. Paul celebrates this victory that has been won. But it's a victory that hasn't yet been fully realized. Yes, the victory is assured. 
But for those of us living here and now, here and now in our broken bodies in this broken world, we know that the battle still rages. Victory is assured, but the victory parade is still to come. Which is why in Romans chapter 8, Paul not only celebrates victory, he also talks about suffering. He talks about suffering that still must be endured before we can bask in the full glory of God's victory. So Paul catches this tension, this ongoing tension between victory and suffering when he writes this in verse 17. He says, now since we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. There's the victory. Paul says, we have victory because of Jesus. We're able to call God our father. But here comes the suffering. Paul also writes and says, says we can share in God's glory if, if we share in his sufferings. If we share in his suffering, then we may also share in his glory. The victory has been won. Jesus is victorious. And Jesus is glorious in his victory. And we, the children of God, we will share in the full glory of Jesus Christ. If, if we also share in his suffering. If we will endure and persevere through the battles that are still to come. So our question as we leave chapter, leave verse 17 behind is this question. We have to ask ourselves, is this glory to come in the future that Paul is talking about, is that glory to come worth the suffering that we have to share with Christ now? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? We make those kind of calculations all of the time, don't we? Is looking awesome in my swimsuit this summer worth the diet that I have to be on now? Is finishing that marathon in the fall worth those early morning training runs I have to do now? Is getting that promotion at work next year worth suffering through these night classes now? We're constantly making those kinds of calculations, and we're constantly making choices based on those calculations. We're always doing the math. How much suffering is the reward to come worth? And when it comes to this question, is the glory to come in the future worth suffering in Christ's suffering, sharing in Christ's suffering now? Paul's quick to provide us an answer. Paul's quick to provide us an answer because Paul's already done the math. So having done the math, Paul writes this in verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not worth comparing. Paul's answer is an emphatic yes. Yes, the glory to come is worth suffering now because compared to the coming glory, our suffering now is trivial. And you know, we might be tempted to push back on Paul a little bit here. We might be tempted to push back on Paul if Paul wasn't such an expert on suffering. You know, it's one thing for me to tell you that your suffering isn't worth comparing much to the glory that's to come. Because frankly, I haven't really suffered much. 
But Paul has a lot more credibility than I do when it comes to suffering. Listen to Paul catalog how he has suffered with Christ in his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Paul says, I have worked harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So when Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, maybe we should just pay attention to Paul. Because Paul understands suffering. I mean, if Paul's suffering is trivial in comparison to the glory still to be revealed, what does, us, what does that tell us about how glorious that glory really is? Just how glorious is the glory? Just how glorious is the glory promised to those who patiently suffer with Christ? And I don't know about you, but for me, that's really hard to grasp. It's really hard for me to explain to others. I mean, how do you describe indescribable glory? It's not an easy thing to do. Biblical authors try to help us grasp that coming glory, and they do it in a couple of different ways. One way is to paint a physical picture, a a picture that we can envision. For example, John in Revelation, he paints a picture of a beautiful bride. He paints a picture of a brand new city that's emptied of pain and emptied of sorrow. He paints a picture of a city full of gold and precious stones. And John invites us to see that eternal glory is like what we have seen here on earth, only better and bigger and brighter and fuller and more wonderful and more beautiful. John invites us to see that it's the most extraordinary thing we've ever experienced, the most extraordinary thing we can imagine, and even more. So when we read John's words, we're able to see, imperfectly, but we're able to see the coming glory. But that's not what Paul does. Paul goes in a different direction. To describe what's indescribable, Paul doesn't paint a physical picture What Paul does is he describes feelings, feelings of overwhelming anticipation, feelings of overwhelming longing. How glorious is the coming glory? Well, Paul tells us it's so glorious that we should feel like this little girl as she anticipates and longs for Christmas morning. It's going to be glorious. It's like Christmas morning for little kids, only better. 
and bigger and brighter and fuller and more wonderful and more beautiful. See, what Paul helps us do is he helps us feel imperfectly, but he helps us feel the coming glory. And to help us feel just how glorious this glory is, Paul chooses to use a very interesting word. He chooses to use the word groaning. I don't know about you, but I think most of us can relate to groaning, can't we? We groan all the times for all kinds of different reasons. If you're like me, you groaned when you got out of bed this morning. Some of you probably groaned when your mom or dad made you come to church this morning. Sometimes we groan out of pain. Sometimes we groan out of frustration. But there are other times when we groan out of anticipation and we groan out of longing. For example, you Cowboy fans are still groaning for another Super Bowl appearance. And we Lobo fans are groaning for a Sweet 16 appearance. Many of our students are groaning for the coming summer vacation. And sometime in June, their parents will be groaning for the start of school. We groan oftentimes out of anticipation. And other times we groan because we've had just a taste of something. We've had just a taste of something and it leaves us longing for more. And we lick the spoon that came out of the cake batter and we groan in anticipation of the cake. We smell the cinnamon rolls cooking and we groan for them to be done. The preacher mentions that there's a bake sale after worship service where Krispy Kreme donuts are and you can start groaning in anticipation of Krispy Kreme donuts. See, we understand groaning. We groan out of pain and out of frustration, and we also groan out of longing and out of anticipation. So when Paul talks about groaning for the glory that is to come, we should all be able to feel the emotions behind those groans. So let's listen to Paul talk about groaning for glory. In verse 19, he writes, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, Right up to the present time. Paul says creation itself, the natural world is groaning. It's groaning because it was once a place of peace, once a place of order, once a place of harmony. It was once a garden. It was once paradise. It was once what it was created to be. Creation was Eden. But now things are different through no fault of its own. Now, because of the the rebellious nature of mankind, creation is a place of death and decay and fear and violence. So creation groans because of what it was. And creation groans because of what it is. But creation mainly groans out of anticipation of what will be. Creation groans for the glory to come. 
So here in Romans chapter 8, Paul uses this psalm-like language to describe creation as an audience. Maybe something like kids waiting on a parade. They can't quite see it, but they can hear the sounds of the parade as it approaches. So they stand on their tiptoes, and they crane their necks, and they strain their eyes, and they're so excited to see the parade that they know is coming, but it's not yet here. And that's how Paul describes creation. It's an audience craning its neck in anticipation and eager expectation of seeing this glory that, they, that creation knows is coming. See, creation has experienced paradise. And it knows paradise is coming again, so it groans in anticipation of God's glory once more being fully revealed. How about us? Well, we can feel how glorious that glory must be when we hear creation groaning in expectation. And so we groan right along with creation. Verse 23, Paul continues, and he says, Not only so, not only is creation growing, groaning, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, we groan in harmony with creation. And as Christians, we have so many reasons to groan, don't we? See, we as Christians groan right along with creation, and we groan right along with Paul. Like like creation, we groan because we are not who we were created to be either. We also groan because we share Paul's frustration Because we love God, but we also know that we often don't do what we want to do. So we groan. And we groan because we keep on doing those things that we hate to do. So I groan right along with Paul and say, oh, what a wretched man I am. I'm not who I was created to be. I'm not who I want to be. So we groan in longing and we groan in anticipation of the day when we will become what we were created to be. The day, as Paul says, when we will be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. But now we groan. We groan because instead of our heavenly dwelling where we long to be, we're living in these fallen bodies in this fallen world. We also groan because we've had a taste. We've had just a taste of those first fruits of what's to come. You know, sometimes here in worship service, I'll close my eyes and just listen to us sing. And I get just a taste of heaven. Sometimes I'll see one of you perform an astounding act of kindness. A great act of service, and I get just a taste of the glory to come. Sometimes when I'm with this church, I just stop and marvel that this group of people 
from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of experiences, against all odds are able to fellowship with each other in love and unity and harmony. And when I stop and realize that, I get just a taste of what's to come. And those moments are good. And those moments lift me up. But as good as those moments are, as sweet as those moments taste, those are only a taste of the glory to come. So what do we do after we've had that taste? Well, I think we should stand on our tiptoes. And I think we should crane our necks and we should strain our eyes in excitement in eager anticipation of what is still to come. See, we should do that because God assures us that even our highest highs in this life are just a taste, they're just a sample of what's to come. The cake's going to be even sweeter than that batter promised. The cinnamon rolls are going to be even more delicious than the smell advertised. The parade is going to be even more amazing than we could even imagine. The glory is going to be more glorious than even John or Paul could describe. And that's why Paul was able to confidently say that our present suffering isn't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. We also crane our necks in eager anticipation because we are confident that even our lowest lows are trivial compared to what is to come. But you know, just because our suffering is nothing compared to what is coming, the coming glory, it doesn't mean that our suffering is nothing. Just because your pain and your frustration is trivial in relation to what is coming, it doesn't mean that your pain and frustration is trivial. And that's why Paul tells us about someone else who groans. Verse 26. Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. See, we're not alone in our suffering. We're not alone in our groaning. In our weakness, since we aren't yet who we're going to be, since we don't yet live where we're going to live, we don't yet know what to pray. But just because we don't have the words, we aren't helpless. We aren't helpless in our suffering because we're not alone in our suffering. Paul wants us to know that God is on our side. He wants us to know that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that are more powerful than any words. See, the Holy Spirit expresses to God the things that we feel, but we can't possibly articulate. So if you don't have the words for your suffering, if you don't have the words for your pain and frustration in this life, I want to encourage you to groan. Groan and creation will groan with you. Groan and the Spirit will groan for you. 
And also, if you don't have the words to describe your excitement, if you don't have the words to describe your anticipation for that glorious life that's to come, I want to encourage you to groan. Groan out of anticipation and excitement, and creation will groan with you. And the Spirit will groan for you. And as we come to the end, I want to encourage us to together, to stand on our tiptoes, to crane our necks, to strain our eyes in eager anticipation of the day that all of our groaning is going to just be replaced with God's glory. And may all thanks and praise be to our God. And all thanks and praise be to the gospel of Jesus Christ who makes that glory possible. No wonder Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this world can be very difficult. Father, we suffer and we groan and sometimes we lose sight We lose sight of how you're working in this world and we lose sight of those tastes of glory that are all around us. And Father, help us to be people who not only deal with life's frustrations but also live in a constant state of excitement and anticipation of the glory that is to come. The glory that will make everything that we struggle with in this life seem like it was nothing. And Father, thank you for making that possible through your son, Jesus Christ, making it possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, it's time for our next uncomfortable challenge. This is uncomfortable challenge number 12 in conjunction with our theme, encouraging us to get out of the boat and do things that are uncomfortable for us. This is an appointment-making challenge. Before this week is over, I want everybody here to schedule an appointment to have your picture taken for our directory. I think I heard some groans when I said that. I don't like having my picture taken. You know why I don't like having my picture taken? Why? Because every picture that's taken looks like me, and I'd really rather it not. And I know many of you feel the same way, but this is important. This is family business. It's important that we have a directory with everybody's picture in it. There's nothing more valuable to put in the hands of someone who's new to our family than a picture directory so they can start learning and identifying all the different people. It's also important for some people who are old like me, and it's like I can picture a face, but I can't remember a name, and I can go look at the picture directory. So sometime this week, make an appointment to have your picture taken. You can do that online. There's a handout um, inside your bulletin that tells you how to do that. Or during office hours, you can simply call the church office and we'll set up that appointment for you. But make your appointment this week to have your picture taken for our picture directory. It's important that you do this, even if it makes you uncomfortable and even if it makes you groan. Let's end today by standing and singing as we look forward to the day that we'll all be living together in glory. Let's stand. Let's sing. Stay.